Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 140. Hi, I'm Scott LaPierre, a pastor, author, and speaker. And I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to run your life God's way instead of ours is key. And one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott Mater. Spending time with the Lord, having your family spend time with the Lord before you go through a trial or else you're going to be blindsided by it. But if you've got a close relationship with the Lord and he's for you, and I don't mean for you like like we talked about earlier, that that means he's going to help you avoid trials, but he's for you and then he's going to use them for your good. He knows what's best for you. Then you can go through that trial and, and you can persevere. If you know the word well, there's going to be verses that come to mind. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Scott LaPierre. I asked Scott about his faith journey and how his books came from that. I also asked Scott about the most common financial issues he's seen facing people, and I asked Scott to share with you about perseverance and the importance it has in our lives. You know, one area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity, getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this and then to hold you accountable and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type. But if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that in productivity for your passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash launch. Scott LaPierre is the senior pastor of Woodland Christian Church in Woodland, Washington, an author and conference speaker. He holds an MA in Biblical Studies from Liberty University. Scott and his wife Katie have nine children, and they are passionate homeschooling advocates. Scott is a former school teacher and army officer, and he's also the author of several books and a series of books called God's Way, including Your Finances, God's Way, and many others. Welcome to the show, Scott. Good to be here, Scott. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, it will be easy for me to remember your name. <laughs> I don't know if your listeners, if it's going to have to be like Scott M, Scott yeah. L. Yeah. Luckily, yeah, if they go look at the transcript, it actually will have your name when you're talking and my name when I'm talking. I, I actually do that in the transcript, so that'll be fun. So, Scott, thank you for being here. And t- talk a little bit. I, I just mentioned in the intro, you're a pastor. You've done biblical studies, you've, your wife and, and beautiful kids, all of these sorts of different things. 
And that before that, you were a school teacher, again, another commonality. And then you were an army officer. Okay, I don't have that one. But I do live in San Antonio, and that's Army USA. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, military USA, mainly Air Force, but some Army. That kind of journey, and how does that tie into your faith journey where you've gone from being a school teacher, an Army officer, to now a pastor, but also an Arthur, and all of these different pieces? Expand okay. a little bit on that journey. Yeah, sure. We don't see what God's doing at the time, but then we look back and we see his fingerprints on the course of our lives. And at the time, it can feel a little, might feel confusing or feel like we're going a certain direction and then God redirects. So I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I became a Christian in my early 20s. By that time, I was a, I was an elementary school teacher. I left uh, the army and I was surrounded by a few Christians who were inviting me to church and I wasn't going. And then my brother, he died of a drug overdose mm. and they told me, you really should come and you should talk to our pastor. He lost his brother when he was about your age and I was struggling. And I went to this church, no intention of getting saved or being born again or anything like that. I didn't go with a Bible, but I went and someone gave me a Bible and the pastor preached a verse and explained it and read a verse and explained it. And, and I really thought God was speaking to me. It bore witness. Uh, I became a Christian to speed this up soon after that and started reading the Bible a lot on my own. And I'd pretty much thought I'd spend the rest of my life as a school teacher, but I was surprised to find that my passion for teaching school was declining. And my passion for, I was getting involved in some home fellowships or Bible studies. I'd attend them. People might ask me to start leading them. And I basically, to make it simple, I wanted to tell people to open their Bibles versus students open their math books or English books. And so I was waiting and then God opened the door for me to start a part-time position where I was teaching and that worked nicely. The church grew. This is in California, in Lemoore. Uh, there's a naval. Lemoore is mostly known for a naval base there. For anyone listening, it's a little south of Fresno. But the church grew. They hired me full time as an associate pastor. I did that until I came to Washington in 2010, where I've been the senior pastor, preaching pastor of Willing Christian Church. And as far as the authoring journey. I was writing out my sermons very thoroughly. If there's kind of two approaches to preaching, you, you have people that have very abbreviated notes, just like a phrase to jar their memory and what they're going to say. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the opposite. I'm writing out my, my sermon. Script. Yeah, you know, we're looking at 4,000 to 6,000 words sometimes, and or sometimes over 6,000, but t- typically around 4,000 words. And I'm, I'm working on that manuscript all week. I'm polishing it, refining it, so that by the time I get up there, I don't have to read it because I'm familiar with it from looking at it so much. But it, it's a pretty refined manuscript that can translate well into a book. If you want to say like your lessons, I have lessons in my sermon. Those could be headings for, for chapters, or you might say. And so my wife was nudging me for quite a few years. Hey, you need to publish something here. You're putting so much time into these sermons and get more mileage out of them. By But I was so busy. We just had our ninth child. Obviously, we didn't have as many children. This was six years ago, but we were homeschooling and and from pastoring here, you could basically work from the time you get up to you go to bed. And no, your pastors work. only work on Sunday. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. like school teachers only work Monday through Friday. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think the irony is that for most of us, for most pastors, Sunday is a lighter day. You know? <laughs> Sunday's the light day. Yeah. You, you actually morning, get to go home probably, and take a nap on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. You have a lot of that day off, whereas most days it's a fuller day. I pulled away for a vacation during a vacation time and took these sermon manuscripts and took my wife's counsel, trusting that God was using her to direct me. And then that was my first book. It was Marriage God's Way. And I was self-publishing it because I couldn't get anyone to to give take any interest in me to traditionally publish it. And that's how that journey of publishing began, which brings us up to 
today with a finance book coming out in May. So, you know, circling back to the beginning of it, and I know you said making a long story short, but let's make a short story long too. The, how do you think, so you weren't raised Christian, but then you became Christian and now you're a pastor thinking about, and not necessarily becoming a pastor, because that's not the calling that everyone has on their heart. But how do you think that kind of aligns with how many people find their calling in life, find what it is that God is telling them, this is what you're supposed to be doing? I, I think that God, I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. I don't tell people, become a Christian so you're happy the rest of your life. I think that being a Christian in this, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. James one, I wrote a book on trials, so I'm convinced you, we're going to have trials. If you think that's the definition of Christian, you haven't actually read the Bible. <laughs> right. So, so we agree. I'm assuming most of your lit listeners agree with that too. Yeah. But I do think that God wants us to experience pleasure, find joy. I don't mm-hmm. think he wants us to be miserable serving him. I think we experience trials, but if it's like the same way I would tell people to determine their gifts. Someone said, how do I know what my gift is? My first question is, what do you enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. If there's some people that want to be behind the scenes, we have conferences or events at our church. They want to be in the kitchen. Then they've got the gift of service. There's people, there's someone hurting and they just want to go bring them a meal. They want to talk to them. They've got the gift of mercy. I knew I wanted, I liked teaching and I didn't even know any of the gift inventories in scripture, but I enjoyed teaching. I had been coaching and sure enough, I became a pastor and I wanted to share God's word with people. And so I enjoyed, I still enjoy preaching. It's my favorite thing to do, uh, speaking and preaching. And so I would invite people to consider how they feel like God has gifted them and determine how God has gifted them by what they enjoy doing. And then expect God wants to open doors for you to use the gifts that He's that He has given you. I don't think God's trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. I don't think that He's building us one way and then expecting us to operate totally outside of our of our gifting. It's not to say that the person that, you know, has the gift of leadership never serves or the person that serves doesn't ever do anything merciful or the person with mercy doesn't ever, doesn't ever have to ever be in some somewhat of a leadership position. But for the most part, I think God directs us and confirms with us what, what it is that he wants us to do based on the strengths and weaknesses we have. So that kind of brings us to, you mentioned the book earlier that you've got coming out. You've got a whole series of books, the God's Way series. And now you're looking at at finances, and I've been invited in to talk on finances in churches because, in my experience, a lot of pastors really don't want to talk about money. Uh, so, how did you get called, or how did you get this itch to to start writing a book on finances as part of this writing journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this could almost piggyback on the previous question you asked me. I, Think about Philip in Acts 8 when he heads to minister, show the gospel of the Ethiopian eunuch. He has no idea that's what's in store. It's like he does one thing, takes one step, and then he heads that direction, and then God reveals the next step. And I think a lot of our Christian life looks like that. You just take the next step God has for you. He doesn't show you the whole road. And so, to be clear, when I first started working on a marriage book, I didn't even know the title of it, say nothing about knowing that there would be a brand, a God's way brand, or enduring trials, God's way, and work and rest, God's way, and finances, God's way. I didn't know anything more than I'm just taking this first step and trying to write this book. And so I would say for, for most of us, this is what it means to live a life of faith, or this is what it means to trust the Lord, that we're just 
taking that next step out and allowing him to show us your word is a lamp to my feet. A lamp doesn't shine miles ahead. You get the light, the revelation, illumination you need for that next step on your journey. And so for me, I just started writing, putting this book together. And to be honest with you, Scott, if I had any idea how incredibly difficult the (laughs) publishing world was or the journey that was ahead of me, I probably would not have had the heart to do it. It's like the Mm -hmm. 12 spies. You you get the idea that God didn't want them spying out the land. It wasn't his idea. And they go and spy out the land and then they're terrified by all the enemies they see. God's plan was they'd encounter these enemies one at a time and get one victory and then the next. But if they had to see all the enemies they're going to have to defeat, then sure enough, they would be fearful and faithless, which is what happened. And I oh, think but, that's, but common. it's, it feels so, it feels like it'd be so much easier if you just knew the whole journey. Up front. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of truth in that. Don't, don't you think sometimes if we knew the whole journey, Oh front, uh, no, I firmly believe you're uh, absolutely right. I oh, agree. Okay, 110%. I think God sometimes is protecting us from ourselves, but, yeah. but I still, I will say, I still pray sometimes is show me the whole journey. Show me where this is oh, going to sure. end up. Absolutely. I just think, yeah. I, I think sometimes God looks at you and go, you really don't want to know that. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to see all the giants in the land, see all of them at once. Just let's just take this one step. At one a time. step at a time. Yep. Yeah. And so looking back, it's been five, six years since I started this publishing journey. And I would not have guessed that it would have taken the direction it did. I didn't, again, I didn't know about a brand God's way. I didn't know I'd have another God's way book. I basically, I wrote, marriage God's way. And I could have easily called it something else. I think I was entertaining um, to become one or something along those lines of the title. And if I had done that, then there wouldn't even be a God's way brand. So that's how loose this, <laughs> this sort of developed over the, I didn't sit down and pen out, okay, I'll do this book. And then this it was, it was just like, I finished marriage God's way and took a, you know, had a big sigh of relief. And then thought, you know, the next thing I've got these sermons, I preached on trials. I think I'll do a trials book and it kind of, and then I had, I preached on Abraham and Isaac and I, I've always been a fan of typology. And I don't, if you don't understand that God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac to prefigure what God was going to do with his son 2,000 years later, then you don't understand that account. Genesis 22 basically looks like God told the father to murder his son. Unless you understand that God was prefiguring or foreshadowing what he would do with his son in human terms with Abraham and Isaac, then I don't think that account makes sense. And my burden for people to understand Abraham and Isaac or understand typology is where a father offers his son was birthed from. But again, I, I didn't really anticipate writing that years earlier. How about the money part, though? Is that something that you've done a series on before and it was birthed out of that or out of yeah. questions that you get? Or where did it come from? That there was that, that came out of two, two. There's a duality to it. There were definitely sermons. I don't have the time or inclination to to publish a book or write a bunch of book material that I haven't preached on. So there have been times where a few times where I thought I need to beef up this book. And then I'm looking for an opportunity to teach or preach that content in my church so that I can commit that week of studying, studying for that sermon. But I'm also trying to prepare this chapter. And I think, I think there's a benefit for that. Many people understand that if your pastor is writing, then that's strengthening his preaching and his preaching is strengthening his writing and, and vice versa. So I don't, it's not shortchanging the church at all. If, he, if a pastor knows that he's preparing a sermon, that's going to be a chapter in a book. He's probably going to have even more incentive to be diligent mm-hmm. in his studying. And so there was the preaching on finances. And, and then the other side of it was that I had a heart for finances. I, I was a business major. I, I liked finances. I, w- I started investing when I was pretty young. And I think I've, I think we should deal with areas of 
I don't know if I'd say expertise, ideally, if we can deal with areas of expertise, but at least familiarity and experience. And for me, that's finances. I didn't, I can't talk about, I'm not mechanical. I can't work on cars. I know guys that in my church that build their houses and I can't do any of that. So I deal with what I'm familiar with, which happens to be finances and uh, stewardship. Mm-hmm. When you think about that within the church, within members of your congregation, what are some of the most common financial issues, financial questions, financial struggles that that bubbled up that later turned into content for the book? Good. So most of us, actually, I don't, I don't want to offend anyone that might be listening, and I don't want to imply that there are not people with legitimate financial issues. But if you develop any amount of familiarity with the affluence of our country compared to other nations and compared to the rep to people throughout history. I don't, I don't just mean that we are extraordinarily wealthy compared to all of history. We're extraordinarily wealthy compared to most of the rest of the world. But what that means is we don't have, we don't have income problems. Most of us, we generally make enough money to not just survive, but thrive. It's, it's an issue of, of the heart. We're covetous, we're discontent and we spend money when we shouldn't. We don't, uh, and it's what I mean, the title of my book, the, the subtitle of my finance book is about being a steward. That's what led me to reach out to you with your show on stewardship and enjoy my my conversations with you up to this point. And so people don't necessarily see their finances as a stewardship, but if you understand that every single dollar you have doesn't really belong to you, but it belongs to God and you're simply a steward of it, it makes you that much more responsible with all of your purchases, with all of your spending. And it also makes you that much more responsible with your giving. And it, it makes giving easier. In a sense, it's a lot easier to give away money that doesn't belong to you. But as soon as you recognize your money is God's money and that it's a stewardship, then it's that much easier for you to you know, give it away or be generous with it. So the, I think that's probably the biggest problem is people not people thinking they need more money, thinking they need to make more money when most people have plenty of money if they'll be wiser. Yeah, there's actually a site, I don't know if you're familiar with it, called How Rich Am I? that you literally can put in your income and how many people are in your household and it'll show you compared to the global economy how rich you are and i can pretty much guarantee you that <laughs> it's embarrassingly <laughs> how large you compare it to someone in zimbabwe and it's what you make in an hour takes them a year to make equivalent and that kind of thing it shows you some of those comparisons and it's an eye opening site if you've never been yeah. to it and one of the other things I, that I thought I had an amount of credibility, like I was saying earlier, deal with areas of familiarity. Well, I, my professions, you know, I was a school teacher, which doesn't make a lot of money. And now I'm a pastor, which doesn't make a lot of money. And so I actually thought that people would hear better or easier from me than they might hear from someone that's wealthy. So in other mm-hmm. words, if someone's a million, if someone's wealthy and they're talking to you about finances and then spending and what to spend money on and not spend money on or how to avoid debt. You're like, they don't might not have a lot of credibility, but I was hoping we would have, we just had our ninth child. We homeschool. We've been a single income family, our entire marriage. And so I thought hopefully people will be able to receive the counsel for me a little easier because we've had to walk, walk the walk. So, well, and yeah, it's, I think too, and again, like you said, not trying to offend anybody and, and not saying that there aren't financial struggles that people have in this country and that I don't want to dismiss that or make light of it. I know you don't either, but at the same time, recognizing that 
you have more control over it than you might think at first glance. And I don't necessarily mean you can magically make more money appear, but there are choices you make. There are things that you have have the ability to control. And a lot of it has to do with our mindset. Like you said, you know, what we're looking at the money as, uh, are we looking at the money as our source of security or are we looking at the money as the thing that we're blessed with? So how do you think people can actually, when they're going through those financial struggles, like we just talked about, or when they're going through other trials and tribulations, you mentioned earlier, losing your brother and having that, that struggle yourself, how, what are some of the ways that we can face that or persevere through that or, or make, it's hard to get through it. <laughs> you know, how do we get yeah. through it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll say uh, there's this uh, illustration. I use it in my book on trials and I've, I've used it preaching before from when I played football, I wasn't, a wasn't an excellent football player or anything along those lines. I played running back. I was in a, a small school and I was part of a small team and I was a running back and I was the kickoff returner and punt returner. And so I got the ball a lot. I got tackled a lot. And there's kind of two ways to get hit or tackled. You know, there's what's coming, you prepare for it, you tuck the ball and kind of raise your shoulders to support your neck. And the guy delivers the blow and then you pick yourself up off the ground pretty easily. The difficult tackle is what we know as being blindsided. And I think that many of us are like an, a football player, or we can be like a football player that's sort of running down the field and we just get blindsided. We're not prepared for the trials that are introduced into our lives. And it, it's not to say that any of us are going to know those trials that are going to come, but we can prepare for them. And we prepare for them, again, not by knowing what they are, but by developing a strong relationship with the Lord. And it's nice when someone goes through a trial and then you learn that they start reading their Bible or someone goes through a trial and then they start praying or someone goes through a trial and they start going to church. And I'm not minimizing that, but it's it's a little bit like almost studying for a test the day of the test. It's nice they're studying for the test, but it would have been better if they had started started that a little bit a little earlier. There was this young lady, I, I think she had just written something on one of my YouTube videos on one of my marriage messages, and she said that she was really glad she watched it as a single woman. And I've had some single people come to my conferences, and there's a couple of times they're almost like cringing, and it's. I'm not married. Is it okay that I'm here? And my response is like, Hey, I wish more people were preparing for marriage before they were married. That's interesting. It's one that's the most, one of the most important decisions we make who we marry. And then we start preparing for marriage after our marriage. I think people should read marriage books and go to marriage conferences before that. Similarly, I think we should prepare for trials before we're in them. You, you want to be going to church, reading the Bible, uh, praying, having family worship, spending time with the Lord, having your family spend time with the Lord before you go through a trial or else you're going to be blindsided by it. But if you've got a close relationship with the Lord and you know that he's for you, and I don't mean for you, like like we talked about earlier, that means he's going to help you avoid trials, but he's for you. And then he's going to use them for your good. He knows what's best for you. Then you can go through that trial and, and you can persevere. If you know the word, well, there's going to be verses that come to mind. John 16, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind or bring to remembrance those things. Well, he can't bring to remember things you've never taken the time to, to remember or to learn or read. The Holy, We need to have these verses in our hearts so that we can God can bring them to mind when we're going through trials and be encouraged um, by them. And then the second thing I would say is fellowship, the importance of having other brothers and sisters in Christ, a church family. There's some stuff we went through as a family, and I, I don't know that we could have survived it if we didn't have our church family. Literally, 
we could have, but it would have been much more difficult. So having a church family, brothers and sisters in Christ that um, support you, pray for you, rally around you. And hopefully that's what church life looks like. We're either, we're either going through a trial and people are ministering to us, or we're in a nice peaceful season and we're ministering you know, to others. But mm-hmm. we're either going through trials or we're helping people who are going through trials. But that can only be when you're part of a church family. So having those brothers and sisters in Christ, I think, is also very important. And yeah, so somebody once told me you're either going through a, you're either going through a period of trouble or you're in the peace between a period of, and it's kind of, that's a little depressing in a way, but it's also got some truth to it. There's always going to be another problem that's going to come along. None of us live a life that's problem free and that's not what we're mm-hmm. promised either. So thinking about that, I, I know I, I could having nine children and homeschooling them, I think might go on this list, but have there, what are some of the trials that you've gone through yourself with your family and how do you see good coming from those trials? Mm-hmm. Okay. One, one thing that happened earlier this year, we, my, my dad has Alzheimer's. He was a deacon mm-hmm. in, in our church. Uh, my parents, I became a Christian and I was able to share the gospel with my parents. They became Christians. I was able to baptize them. And they came, they followed us to Washington and they attend church, were attending church with us. And my parents moved near us because dad had Alzheimer's and we were able to be nearby to uh, help mom if she needed it. My kids just sort of knew that there were times that they look out the window and they'd frequently see mom walking after dad because he'd wander off or I, we'd get a phone call and then I'd usually take one of my kids with me and we'd go over to my mom's house to, to help dad because he was depressed or something like that. And my kids would draw a picture. So there was an, I was thankful. That's actually one, one way I saw God's goodness was I think it's good for our children to be exposed to an amount of suffering, trials, difficulty. We limit it. We're not going to show them anything terribly graphic or bring sure. them in the, in the room while someone's in the throes of death or something. But I was glad my children understand that this, we live in a, sin, uh, a fallen world and, and our, we get older and we die. It happens to all of us unless the Lord returns in our lifetimes. And some my children got to see that pretty pretty up close and personal as my dad's m- mind was deteriorating, but he was still really strong physically. This one night, a few months ago, mom called me and she was just really panicking. I couldn't remember ever hearing her like this before. And she was screaming for me to head to their house. And I, I was, so I ran over to her house and didn't take me very long to get there. And dad was passed out on the floor and he, I started administering CPR to him. He had choked on some food, which I guess can be a kind of common thing with people with Alzheimer's. And my associate pastor happened to be with me and he came and he was alternating, delivering CPR and uh, the ambulance came and I ran out to get them and they came in, but they weren't, they were not able to revive my dad. Mm. And it was a, it was a shock to all of us. We thought with him, I was Alzheimer's. We had a couple more years left with him. And so I mentioned that because then you say, what is the good that can come from that? He happened to pass away on a Sunday night. We'd had a really nice day, a nice morning of worship. We'd had a lot of time as a family. We'd had our newest child at the time. And my dad had not held, we hadn't really let dad hold some of our um, babies as his Alzheimer's. We weren't sure if he might set the baby down on the edge of the table or something like that. And we're at the table that day and and Lydia crawled across the table to my dad and he held Lydia. We had a nice meal together. We had evening service and an evening of worship. And there had been a a day, a few days earlier when mom had asked me, she had to have a surgery and I stayed at the house with my dad. And it was just the two of us. And he started to fall asleep in the chair and I brought him in the bedroom to uh, go to sleep and helped him. He started to put his pajamas on over his pants and 
confused mm-hmm. and stuff and just a tender moment to help my help my dad get dressed and get in his pajamas and and put him in bed and tucked him in and gave him a kiss and I looked at him and I just said I love you very much dad and I said do you know that I love you very much and said, said that to him a few times and he looked up at me and just it, it was just seemed like a very sweet tender moment the Lord gave me not long before my dad passed I felt very thankful that I had even when my dad was losing some of his faculties mentally there had been a, quite a few times I'd stood in front of him and I put my hands on his shoulders and I just looked him in the eyes and I said, dad, I love you very much. I love you very much. And so I didn't have it. I guess I'm just saying I didn't have any regrets. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I didn't always have the best relationship with my dad. God redeemed it. And I'm thankful that my children saw my dad, that they were around him. I'm thankful because my it was just my brother and I. Mm-hmm. And so when my brother passed away, I'm thankful that my my parents had my grandchildren, their grandchildren, my children. I'm thankful that that my dad, there's not a lot of dignity for people when their Alzheimer's gets much worse. And so there's a sense in which I was very sad that my dad passed away unexpectedly, but it allowed him to pass away with dignity. So there, there are just a lot of blessings that we saw in something that you wouldn't think would be very blessed, a, a man choking and passing away unexpectedly like that. But God was still, it was a Romans 8.28 situation that God worked out for good in many, many ways. And my mom, fortunately, she's near us. She got lonely. Uh, being home alone. And so she moved in with us and she's we're building her an addition in the back of our house. And so it's been nice to have her around and uh, she's not lonely now living with us with nine kids. So. <laughs> I was going to say with nine kids. Yeah. And and again, like I said, jokingly, I mean, with nine kids, y'all got to be able to finding a trial or a tribulation every time you turn around. Right. Again, I was a school teacher. So I, I know that yeah. one kid is a handful and you've got a, ha- uh, a whole herd of them. Yeah. That's thank you for sharing that with your dad. And again, my condolences of it having been around uh, a large number of, of Alzheimer's patients. It, that is a challenging situation um, to be around people that have Alzheimer's and then with that leading to where it left. But at the same time, I think pointing out that. A lot of it isn't that the things that you are saying made came out of it as a good. It's not that they're good or bad. It's that you're focusing on recognizing that within that situation, there's still things that are blessings. There's still things that are goodness. There's still things that are an advantage that came out of it too. Yeah, that demonstration of God's grace through it. I appreciate mm-hmm. the way that you said that. Yeah, well yeah. said. Because it is. What are we choosing to take from the journey as opposed to the journey? I think is important. So you mentioned stewardship earlier, and of course, that's my brand, and I talk about stewardship a lot on the show, but I've learned over the years that using that word, different people hear and mean different things when they say it. So I like to ask all of my guests, what is stewardship to you, and what has its impact been on your life? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So I think if I biblically what we should do is we should try to think biblically. We should try to have a world, a biblical worldview, and we should try to use biblical terms and understand what the Bible means when it says something. And in, in scripture, it says a steward must be found faithful. So a steward is someone who is in essentially biblically speaking, when we look at parables or when we look at stewards in scripture, they were people who have possession or ownership of some of someone else's stuff, really. <laughs> they didn't, it wasn't their own stuff. They were responsible. With, they're like a manager, really, of other people's possessions. And there's a sense, and, and you would know this, you would be able to elaborate on this even better better than I could, the other ways that we're, since that's your, your expertise. But we're stewards of 
money comes to mind, but we're stewards of our time. There's an amount of time that all of us have been given that we must steward. I'm a steward of my children. God has given me nine children. And you hear someone has nine children and you think, well, you want to have a lot of children. It wasn't that we you know, wanted or I hate to use the word tried to have a lot of children. We just wanted what God would give us. And he gave us nine. He could have given us four and maybe he'll give us 10 or 12 or something. I don't know. But I'm stewards. I'm a steward of all the children he gives me, however many that is, if it's one, two, three or nine. And so I'm responsible for them and how I parent them. I'm not completely responsible with how they they are free moral agents, but I'm still a steward of them. I'm a steward of, of my marriage and my wife and my home. And that can be a paradigm shift for people. The idea of stewardship, it can really pervade all aspects of life where we recognize that everything, there was a gentleman early in my Christian life. He was very hospitable. His family would have us over this large group of people for a Bible study that he, that I was leading. And so I greatly appreciated him because I didn't have, I was a single guy. I didn't have a house for a Bible study like this. And I said to him one time, and I, I didn't, it was, might not sound monumental to you, to some of your listeners, but to me, it was pretty significant. I said, thanks so much for opening your home and having us all over as often as you do. And he said, that's what it's for. And I thought, that's what it's for. I thought, that's not, I know it was to me, I thought, that's not what your house is for. Your house is for you and your family. It's not for these other people, but for him, because it was a stewardship, his house really was for God's glory, for God's kingdom, for having Bible studies. And so if you understand what is your, we have a, a van, we have a car. Uh, we have those two vehicles. What are those vehicles for? What is our home for? What are our finances for? So stewardship is basically using what God has given you for his glory. He has redeemed, Christ has redeemed us. We belong to him, entirely to him. All of our time belongs to him, all of our money. And it's not to say that we have to spend, spend every single moment in prayer or reading the Bible. We see some great men in scripture that that enjoyed pleasures. There's honorable, noble things we can do that don't look ultra ultra spiritual. We just, we went to a beach house as a family. I was on vacation this past week. We came home yesterday. And so that was nice to, to go to, you know, the beach with my family and kind of get away a little bit. But so it's not to say that every single thing has to look ultra, ultra spiritual, but hopefully we're keeping in mind that we are, have been given time, money, relationships, resources, possessions that belong to the Lord. And to be a good steward is to be faithful with what that's the parable of the talents, right? You have three men, three stewards. And what's interesting is the third servant or third steward that Christ says is wicked and lazy. I, we understand lazy, but it's, it seems odd that he called him wicked because what makes someone wicked to us, a person is wicked because he committed murder or he committed adultery or he stole something. They did evil. Exactly. But this man was evil or wicked without doing anything. Actually, it was his doing nothing that made him wicked in God's eyes. And that's important to remember that we can be considered wicked simply because essentially like him, we're being poor stewards of, of the talents that God has given us. And I think too, to call out something you said there, because I think a lot of times we ascribe, if I'm not spending time praying 24 seven, if I'm not um, going to church every single time that I can go to church. But those are the moments that are worship and are giving to God when the reality is, no, it's supposed to be every moment is giving to God. And in a way, by setting that aside and going, well, I'm not being worshipful because I'm not in church right now. Okay, but you can be worshipful even if you're not in church. So the working that you do can be a form of worship. I recently resigned from a position because I felt out of alignment with the kind of what I was being called to do, not because they were doing anything illegal or immoral or whatever, 
but I couldn't support the decisions that were being made. I need to step away from it. It's it's ingenious to be, it's disingenuous to be mm-hmm. part of it when I can't support it. Because mm-hmm. to me, my work is worship. And if I feel like it's out of alignment, then I need to go do something else. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important too that we realize that, that it's not just in the quote churchy moments that we can be doing stewardship and doing worshiping yeah. and all of those things. There's, a, there's something that's called the, print, the principle of first mention. And it's the idea that we can understand the great, the clearest definition, or we can develop the clearest understanding of a word from when it's first mentioned or first used mm. in scripture. And I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And so Bible scholars will take notice of when words are first used. And so interestingly, the first time the word worship is used is when Abraham was taking Isaac up to sacrifice him. And mm-hmm. he said, the young man and I will go and worship and we will come back to you. And that's bizarre to us because like you said, worship to us is being in church, singing songs. Sometimes we don't even understand. I have to, sometimes I remind my church that listening to the sermon is worship. So we don't even think, we we might only think singing songs is worship, but like you're saying, whatever we're doing, if we're doing it for God's glory, Abraham could sacrifice his son, Isaac, and call that worship because it was being done out of of obedience obedience to God. I run the AV on Sunday. And I always tell people that in a way, it's challenging because I want to participate in worship, but I've also got a job to do. So I have to make doing my job is my act of worship or else I'm not worshiping. And again, we I've had the pleasure of preaching and the same thing happens when you're leading worship. It's a weird act of worship because it's different than participating in worship in other ways, not better or worse, just different too. So I think that's interesting. So let me ask you my favorite question. This is my favorite question of the show. If I could invent this magical machine and I could pluck you from the chair where you sit today and transport you into the future, 100 to 150 years, and you were able, God granted you the gift of being able to look back at your entire life and seeing all of the impact, the ripples, all of the little touches that you've had, what impact do you hope you've left behind on the world? I hope I raise kids that love Christ. I hope I have children that go out in the world and have a heart for Christ. And I, I don't hope that they end up being famous or well-known. I just hope they grow up and they have a relationship with the Lord. And hopefully they raise children that there's no, I would, you know, take that over any book sales or speaking or anything like that. And we close out each evening as a family or try to in prayer. Most of the evenings were pretty, we're able to. And each night, I think my children have heard me pray for their salvation. I don't, know too many different ways to pray it. So they've heard me say a lot of the same words. How many different ways can you say, Lord, save my children, grant my children faith in Christ. And and yeah, I would pretty much give up anything to have all my children be saved and serving the Lord throughout their mm-hmm. lives. And if any books, I'm thankful. I Sometimes people tell me, hey, I listened to this message or watched a sermon yours or read this book. That's really nice. It, it is meaningful. You do want to think, you do want to believe that what you're doing is making a difference. I think of Jeremiah and the difficulty of his 40 year ministry, not one recorded convert under his, (laughs) under his ministry. So it's like, yeah. yeah, And and how difficult, you know, that would be, but so it's nice to be told, Hey, this sermon or this book made a, made a difference in my life or God used it, but really it it would be raising children that love. So what's coming next for you as you continue on this journey to, to living out your call, what's on the, what's on the roadmap? Mm-hmm. So marriage, uh, my marriage book, Your Marriage Godsay, was published in September. I don't know when exactly when this episode is going to air, but 
That was pretty recent. And so I'm still working on that, marketing it or responding to messages about it. And then in May, my next book is the one we've been talking about, Your Finances, God's Way. And so coming out in May of 2022, but I've already finished the book. It's already got you know the cover. It's already it's kind of interesting how long the journey is when you're publishing because you finish a book and you're not that book's not going to be published for a very long time. And so I finished the work on it a while ago, but it'll be published in May. And then I've got some speaking engagements. Teach them diligently is a homeschooling conference, and they asked me to be a featured speaker for them. So I've got two. So if anyone lives is near Tennessee or near Texas, those are the two locations that I will be. Then I would love love for you to come see me and say hi. Uh, I enjoy putting on marriage conferences. So if there's anyone listening. And then I'll hopefully put on some financial conferences. Then if your church would like a marriage speaker, I'd be glad to try to make that happen too. Awesome. And yes, this will be out in, they'll, listeners are hearing this in May. So your book should be coming out uh, right around the same time. I think your book will be out, I believe the weekend before this is live for everybody. Because this should be going live May 9th as well. So you can find out more about Scott. You can find out more about Scott on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn as Pastor WCC. He also has a YouTube channel as Scott Lapierre, or on Facebook is Scott Lapierre Ministries. You can also find out more about his books and speaking if you'd like to have him come speak at your church at scottlapierre.org. Scott, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? I like to give my listeners a free gift. There's a little marriage book or more like a pamphlet. It's called Seven Biblical Insights for Healthy, Joyful, Christ-Centered Marriages. It's a short read. Yeah, nothing to be intimidated by. There's just seven insights that I think are really helpful for marriage. And I'd love to offer that to you as a free gift. You can find it on my website. So like Scott just mentioned, my website is my name, scottlapira.org. I'm guessing that the other Scott will probably put a link to it in the show notes. And if you go to my website, you should be able to find that pretty easily. Uh, and get a copy of that. And if there's any ways I can pray for you, you can contact me on my website through the contact page. And so, hey, Scott, I appreciate what you're doing in your ministry and ways God's brought you along. And thanks for letting me come along in this small way and serve you and hopefully serve your listeners. Absolutely. We're glad to have had you here today and at Good Stuff. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, develop your influence, and impact the world.